Today on Government Matters, reusing cyber solutions other agencies tried first. That's a good thing. The leader of the government's cloud cyber office tells you why. Some of the Pentagon's biggest buying problems come from software. One of the agency's top acquisition officials on how the department's trying to change that. And can the Internal Revenue Service really go paper-free? The two leaders of the effort explain why and how the answer can be yes. Government Matters starts right now. From Washington, D.C. and around the world, this is Government Matters with Francis Rose. Thanks for watching the weekend edition of Government Matters, the only show covering the latest news, trends, and topics that matter to the business of government. I'm your host, Francis Rose. The Federal Risk and Authorization Management Program will work with the National Institute of Standards and Technology to use automation to speed up the certification process. Adding open security controls assessment language could speed that certification process up a lot. Ashley Mahan is director of FedRAMP at the General Services Administration. Ashley, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. The whole point of FedRAMP originally was to give agencies a platform that they could use over and over again. How is the work that you're doing getting you more toward that goal? Hi, Francis. Thanks so much for having me. So certainly the use of cloud has helped the government be more resilient and shift to new ways of work during this time, uh, which largely the workforce is, is remote. And this shift has really emphasized the value and need for secure cloud offerings and FedRAMP. And across the program, as we mentioned, that do want to use many framework that we have. We've seen cloud products this year be reused over 50% more than, in, uh, than from last year. And also since March, we've seen more or less a doubling or roughly about 3,000 reusability requests from agencies looking at these FedRAMP authorized products and, and determining if they're a right fit for their agency. So as a program, we've really shifted into high gear over the past year, helping agencies uh, work with industry to authorize these products, as well as work hand in hand with industry to help them navigate the authorization process. Is there some event or series of events that's caused this inflection point, Ashley, or do you think this is just the growth and maturation of the process as it was originally intended. I see the growth and maturation of the process as it's originally intended. Um, I'd say that cloud brings an incredible amount of innovation to government to help us enable our missions uh, across government. And we've seen you know, agencies time and time again, and especially this past year, look at these cloud products uh, to help them be productive with a workforce that's largely working from home. The, or, in the very beginnings of the FedRAMP process, one of the challenges was this reuse, the, the reuse idea, getting an agency to say, it's okay if we do the same thing that somebody else did. Everybody thought that they were so dramatically different than the other agencies. What's culturally happened, do you think, over the last couple of years and over the period that you just cited that's caused agencies to kind of maybe grow out of that, that unique perspective on themselves? Well, I would say as a program, we've really helped in um, understanding our customers, agencies, industry, and where what their perspectives are in going through this authorization process. And over the past couple of years, we've carved out really four focus areas, you know, automation, you know, fundamentally we want to make things faster and um, make uh, things uh, better from a resource standpoint. So 
cloud service providers can go through this process much more efficient, efficiently. We want to provide more learning opportunities for the, uh, the community, industry, as well as agencies. And one of the things that we did this year was this agency liaison program where we had to train the trainer model, working with each agency point of contact, giving them the resources they need to be successful uh, with FedRAMP at their agency. As well as we want to continue to grow that FedRAMP marketplace. And then finally, just continue to keep things simple. You know, this authorization process, it's technical, it's complex. We want to try to keep it simple wherever possible. I mentioned automation as a piece of that at the beginning of this conversation, Ashley. What does that look like? What parts of it can you automate and what parts of it have to stay manual so that uh, an agency can be confident about, about the certifications? Well, so when we were developing these four focus areas, we also wanted to carve out initiatives taking the end-to-end -end customer journey in mind and deliberately creating efficiencies that would have the most the maximum positive impact, whether if you're an agency and you're working with an industry provider going through this process, or if you're an industry cloud pro uh, uh, provider and, and trying to navigate and go through this process. And so what we're seeing is from an automation standpoint, we've been working really closely with the National Institute of Standards and Technology on this open security control assessment language. And basically what that is, is all of the security materials that we have today are all manually created. They're in documents, they're in PDFs. And it's really hard for you know technology or innovation to be applied. Um, and so with OSCAL, we're creating a standardized machine readable language, more or less code, that then we can apply a lot of really neat tooling and technology to this process. Um, so the security deliverables can be read by machines and a lot of efficiencies from an automation standpoint can be applied. What's the end result that that will have for a company that maybe is just entering the process for the first time, Ashley? How will it look yeah. different than it looks today? So again, you know, we, we recognize that industry takes a lot of time to prepare these documents and get ready for the authorization process. Agencies have to review all these materials and finally there's a continuous, um, a continuous process at the end of the authorization cycle. It continues on to make sure that the security posture is, is, is uh, kept up to snuff, right, throughout any time an agency is using these cloud products. And so with that said, the audit Moscow, we think will have positive impacts from an automation standpoint with every point in a customer's journey here. So in developing these deliverables with having a machine readable language or developing in a code, we think in turn agencies can apply technology to review these materials a lot faster. And then also industry will have the ability to maintain these deliverables that can then be consistently reviewed and constantly reviewed by agencies to make sure the security posture is, is on point. A little bit less than a minute left, Ashley. Are you seeing any kind of a COVID impact at FedRAMP, the way that agencies are coming to you, the kinds of questions they're asking, the kinds of, of services that they want, uh, the way that you're interacting with vendors at all, any kind of a COVID impact at all? I just say we have a surge across the board. You know, we constantly want to be there for our customers. We have agencies looking to authorize more products. I mean, just in the last uh, year, we've had more cloud products authorized uh, through FedRAMP than any other uh, any other year, as well as that reusability effect that I mentioned a little earlier, uh, as well as we have a lot of industry partners that are looking to come through the process and get authorized. So you're really seeing government agencies want to innovate, want to provide great capabilities to the remote workforce uh, to help enable them uh, working productively out from home. Ashley Mahan, thanks very much. Thank you. Up next, a brand new way for the Pentagon to get the software it needs. Straight ahead on Government Matters, the acquisition overhaul coming to the Defense Department. You're watching ABC7.
The Defense Department has a new pathway to buy software. The department says the adaptive acquisition framework gives it more flexibility in buying software. Stacy Cummings is Principal Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for Acquisition. Stacy, welcome. It's good to see you again. Your boss, Ellen Lord, calls this the most transformative change in decades in buying. Why is this such a big deal, Stacy? Thank you, Francis, and it's great to be here again. Um, so over the last year, we have published a series of policies that really codify a transformation to the defense acquisition system. What we're doing is we're going from a policy framework where each of our programs go through a similar process that's very milestone-based, kind of a one-size-fits-all, and we're transitioning to a flexible, adaptable framework that empowers program teams to really tailor their acquisition strategy based on the unique capability that they are buying, that they are acquiring on behalf of the warfighter. Of the six pathways that are represented in the adaptive acquisition framework, the newest and most exciting to me is the software pathway. How is this different than the way, you described accurately, I think, the way that it's been done before. FedScoop uh, describes it this way, checklists and requirements were developed with senior leader approval when the DOD wanted to purchase anything. How are you getting away from that and what does this look like at the program level? What does this look like to the vendor? So the biggest transformation that this policy change is implementing through the adaptive acquisition framework is that we are encouraging program teams to work with their decision authority to use the flexibility of the six pathways, either individually or in coordination with each other in order to develop a strategy that tailors in documentation, oversight, studies, requirements, tailors them in as opposed to tailoring them out. And what that means is that the program teams have an opportunity to really look at the unique capability they're acquiring, the risk associated with that acquisition, and they tailor in those things that are necessary as opposed to looking at a checklist or a compliance-based program. We really want program teams to be establishing their programs based on that unique capability, working with their decision authorities to minimize unnecessary documentation and focus on those things that are most necessary to reduce risk, reduce costs, and deliver the right capability to the warfighter at the right time, and really at the speed of relevance, which is in um, coordination or completely in alignment with a national defense strategy. And speed is what every leader that I've talked to over the past couple of years in the department mentions at some point. Uniformed or civilian, it doesn't matter. Is that the biggest gain here, or is there another gain that you would say is tremendously, tremendously important, Stacy? One of the most important gains is the speed of relevance. And what we mean by that is not going fast for the sake of going quickly. We wanna go as fast as it makes sense for the capability that we're acquiring and the flexibility of the pathways, especially the pathway of uh, the middle tier of acquisition and the software pathway, both give our program teams the opportunity to start quickly to iterate on requirements, 
to iterate on prototyping and on software delivery so that we're getting capability into the hands of the warfighter as quickly as possible to get that feedback so we are able to make the best possible decisions with the most amount of information as opposed to locking ourselves into strategies early in the life cycle that then have an impact on uh, on our costs, on our schedule, and our performance. One of the uh, places that this is already in practice is in the Air Force. They're using it in the ground-based strategic deterrence system. Is it too early to learn lessons, Stacy, or are you already seeing some lessons to take away from this? So we've had a great partnership with Congress, and a few years ago, they encouraged us to do some software acquisition pilot programs. And so we had about two dozen pilot programs that we have already learned a lot of lessons from, and those lessons informed the software pathway policy, which was just signed out and published on the 2nd of October. And so we have learned a lot of lessons. Some of the most important things that we've learned are related to getting capability into the hands of the user quickly means we need to have uh, the ability to iterate on requirements. We need to be able to work directly with users to be able to get minimum viable products into their hands so that they can provide us with feedback. One of our other lessons learned is around not just requirements, but also funding. We have proposed a pilot to Congress in uh, 2021, and we're hoping that they allow us to pilot this software color of money. Uh, this will give us the opportunity to truly demonstrate the value of continuous integration and continuous delivery of software based on the lessons learned that we've learned from those pilots and other programs who are implementing modern software techniques in their programs. Stacy, about 30 seconds left. You mentioned the term minimum viable product, and I wonder if that concept culturally has been difficult for a department to adapt that's been used to waterfall for so, so long. So one of the big lessons learned and partnerships that we've made is with our test community. The best way to be able to do continuous integration, continuous development is to move test, move cybersecurity, uh, authentication, and move all of those things left in the program lifecycle. So we're partnering with our testing uh, uh, colleagues and we're actually building trust into the development of software so that when we get the uh, the software complete and in the hands of the user they can use it immediately and it's already been tested uh, it's already been cybersecurity uh, certified and that's really what we're looking for in this software pathway Stacy Cummings thanks very much for being with me today thank you Francis up next, the Internal Revenue Service's path to paperless. Straight ahead on Government Matters, the push for big monetization and what it'll take to get there. You're watching ABC7. The Internal Revenue Service has a new strategy to move toward going paperless. A new digitization and modernization pilot project are part of that process. Justin abold Labresh and Harrison Smith are co-directors of the Enterprise Digitalization and Case Management Office at the IRS. Gentlemen, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. What do you want to take on, Harrison, as you are working on these issues? Are you looking primarily internally at within the agency or externally regarding the people that do business with the IRS? First, Francis, thanks for, thanks for having us here this morning. Uh, but I think it's really a combination, right? We do our best to balance 
the issues around really performing uh, and making changes and improving the processes uh, on where we engage directly with the taxpayer. But there are also ways that we can become more efficient uh, and increase access to digital data within the IRS that may not be so immediately available, immediately obvious to the taxpayer. But in order to really get that, uh, that broader view, that 360 degree view of the taxpayer, uh, as we talk about internally, we need access to that information, right? And so not all of those processes may necessarily be immediately obvious uh, to the taxpayer. Uh, whereas, for instance, allowing uh, forms to be submitted uh, digitally as opposed to in hard copy or allowing different types of digital signatures uh, to, be, to be received. Those are the things that are really a little bit more obvious to the taxpayer. Um, but again, that, that quote-unquote back office work really does help us move ahead in the broader scheme of things. Uh, Justin, welcome. Your colleague Mitch Winan said recently that you're going to be maintaining a test and learn approach. What does that look like and where do you think those tests will start? Well, great question. I think the key message here is that this is a learning opportunity all along the way. We want to take off small increments of value and be able to ensure that we're at the right place at the right time and it's really impacting the customer in the way that we expect and that the customer wants. And so from a case management perspective, that means we're modernizing business processes before we move them into our new platform. We're taking advantage of the new technology to make certain that this process as it comes over into the new platform really is going to have that uh, high-quality, first-class customer experience each step of the way. Justin, for a long time, the focus of discussion around changing processes at the IRS revolved around IT modernization. Lots of discussion, lots of it warranted about the state of the uh, information technology plant at the agency. I now see digitization in the name of your organization, and it strikes me that's a step ahead just in what you're calling this and what your goal is. Is that a fair read on my part? Well, I think the IRS has a really strong IRS modernization plan overall. We're starting from a great foundation, and what Harrison's in my office does is it really accelerates that. It lets us spearhead the efforts that drive us toward the taxpayer first act. Harrison, what do you think? Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly. I think it's we really work with our partners in IT uh, to expand on those efforts and really highlight again, you know, the digitalization perspective. This this means quite a few things to quite a few different people, right? We want to make sure that we are able to reduce the amount of paper that we that we handle while still supporting the needs of taxpayers to file uh, in hard copy where they need to. Uh, but accessing and valuing that information clearly does have to do with, with our IT partners. But it's worth noting that it's not just the technology aspect of things, right? Justin already mentioned uh, about business process efforts, right? We really need to work at, let's not um, look at taking a new technology tool approach to a process that, that could be optimized as well. And there's also a look at our policies, right? Do we need to take a different look at how we receive paper, how we store paper, right? There are some instances in which we uh, have an approach to storing paper for, for decades, several decades. And is that necessary? Is that a paper conversation? Is that a digital conversation? And how do we manage those? So it, it really is a very broad and nuanced conversation. What do you think the coordination effort will look like, Harrison, across the, the agency? If you're involving everybody in the business processes and it's not just an acquisition or IT modernization effort, you're going to have to have everybody involved, right? Oh, absolutely. There's no question about that, uh, especially from, from my perspective, um, going into a large business and international uh, or wage and investment, really understanding, hey, these are the experts, right? These are the folks who do this on an ongoing basis, and we need to engage with them 
because over the years or over over the time that they've worked at a particular office, they've seen things that may be able to be uh, be pursued in a slightly different manner. And we want to really leverage that expertise. Uh, Commissioner Reddick is very fond of saying, uh, and and Justin and I agree with him wholeheartedly, that the number, the single best asset and the single largest asset that the IRS has is its people. And so leveraging their expertise and leveraging their passion uh, to support the American taxpayer and the mission of the IRS is, is really what we're working to do. In this type of a modernization effort, Justin, I imagine you're going to be using an agile approach. How will you judge at each stage that you've been successful and that you want to move forward or that you maybe need to, uh, to, to step back for a moment and rethink what you've done, try something differently? I think the beauty of using an agile process like this is that each step of the way our end customers are involved with us. So Harrison was talking about large business and W9, we truly are reaching out across the organization. And so as we do this, those end users are involved in the modernization journey. So frontline employee involved telling us what works today for them, what isn't working. Uh, in places where it makes sense, reaching out to our external stakeholders getting external input, what works today, what isn't working today. So on the design side, that voice is, is front and center, right? That's the, the heart of Agile is the design voice is the customer. And the customer for us is both our employees and the taxpayers. And then as we move through the development stage and configuring it and deploying it, that end user keeps, keeps with us. They stay with us on this journey. And so every two weeks as we sprint, we're iterating that back with the customer. Are we building what you thought we were going to build? And that's a great chance to course correct along the way. And so all of this is built in from, from the start, really, the voice of the customer, and then looking at it, is are we building something that works? Is it going to make your job easier? Is it going to make the taxpayer experience better? Is it going to be faster cycle time, faster responses, better quality of response and experience? Uh, we have those checkpoints built in, just like you said, so we can pull up and say, okay, is this working the way we expected? And if it isn't, we can course correct, and we can course correct quickly, cheaply, and efficiently. Justin Harrison, thanks very much for joining me today. Appreciate it. Appreciate Absolutely. the time. Thank you. Don't forget, if you miss an episode of Government Matters, you can find it on our website, govmatters.tv. Get a preview of every newscast by signing up for our daily program guide. You just text GOVMATTERS to the number 22828. I'm back in two minutes. That's the latest from Washington. Join me weeknights at 8 and 11 on WJLA 24-7 News and next Sunday morning at 10.30 on ABC7. Stay plugged in on issues that matter to the business of government. Thanks for watching. I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening. Our daily program is produced by Sharice Hanner and Ashley Gallagher. Christy Marriott leads our technical crew. Our web editor is Beatrix Haddon. Government Matters was created by George Jackson. Visit govmatters.tv for articles, videos, and more, including our first feature-length documentary, The Dawn of Generation AI. Government Matters is recorded at WJLA-TV in Washington, D.C. Copyright Sinclair Broadcast Group.